0: Morning, before we read, I think Don is going to read, so if he can find his way up here. Just wanted to uh, make a a very important announcement that... Don't forget that. (laughs) No, seriously. Um, I just wanted to highlight the importance of the tech team, right? Because without them, I'd be shouting, and you'd be like, what's going on? So we need a, a couple more bodies in the tech team. And so if that's something that you have interest... And ability (laughs) Um, step forward, and and, um, the more the merrier, because uh, then one small team isn't overburdened, but um, appreciate that. So, Don, you're going to read to us? Yes, I am. Got it. So, we're on page 940, Romans 2, just the first five verses. So, go ahead, Don, and dive in. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Good. Good work. Thanks, Don. Appreciate that. Impenitent. That's a, that's a big word. That's a, that's a $5 word to say out loud in public. Anyway, thanks for, for reading. And so uh, this is Grace Life Bible Church. We're excited about God's grace. We're excited about God's word. God's word guides what we do. And I've said before that, that I want to submit to God's word. And, and if it takes me to a place that's maybe different than what I grew up with, I'm going to wrestle with that and figure it out. I'm not going to make my own culture, traditions, whatever, um, rule over God's word. And, and it, sometimes that can make us uncomfortable. Anyway, so um, we are all about knowing God and His Word, experiencing and extending His grace, growing in healthy relationships, and then impacting those near and far, whoever, what sphere of influence God has given us. And then, so we're disciples who experience and extend God's grace. That's our short story, okay? So we are in Romans. Roman, Romans is an epistle, which means it's a, a fancy letter, all right? At, at first, Paul didn't sit down and think, I'm going to write an epistle. He wrote a letter. And letter's so good and so focused that other people later on said, that's an epistle. Fancy letter, all right? So we've ta- looked at this before. It's uh, Romans is a faith journey from ruin to redemption, but in the context of The historical culture, it's a unifying faith journey. Because we have the Jew and Gentile thing that is really loud. And so thats uh, we'll get into that today in in a big way. So here's the theme of Romans. I just want to read this. This summarizes the whole book. Uh, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed. That means that that that's an option. Okay? So I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek For in it, the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. He's quoting the Old Testament there, and so we've been through that before. But my question today is, does your gospel make you a better person? All right? Um, How can that be a trick question? Does your gospel make you better than those people? Whoops. If it does, that's not Paul's gospel. And that's what's going on here. So so the gospel in this context was making them better. We're better than them, okay? Obviously, it makes us better in that we're we're more like Christ, and and we're experiencing his love and the fellowship. That's that's great, but you see how that, on a test, you have to throw it out, because half the kids thought this, half the kids thought that. Anyway, so does our gospel lead to soft-hearted compassion or hard-hearted judgment? you can start at the same gospel and end up in both, isn't that weird? And that's what's going on here, okay? So um, Don and I were reading, I got a new devotional book, I think it's Paul Tripp, Paul David Tripp, Everyday New Mercies or something like that, really good. And so uh, we're reading that, and one day, one thing this last week, it said, you know, are you overinflating your godliness? And just here, here's a short, a short thing, um, He says, we we tend to give ourselves too much credit for a whole bunch of stuff. We attribute too much righteousness to ourselves. We think we have more wisdom than we do. We pride ourselves on having the right character. I love that kind of contradiction, you know what I mean? It's like, I I pride myself on being humble. Anyway, um, we think of ourselves being more patient than we are, and we think we're really perseverant and super obedient, submissive, and, um, all right, we think we're more godly than we really are, and that's you know, two millimeters away from being hard-hearted and judgmental because of the gospel, you know, it makes us better, okay? So, but this is what the Rome, Roman church was experiencing. The Gospels making the Jews better, better than the Gentiles, because they have the law, they have the covenant, they have their whole heritage, the history, the prophets, the Levites, the whole shebang, they got it all. So, the Gospels making the Jews better in a bad way, but the Gentiles, the gospel's making them better because they came out of pagan Hellenism and they're not there anymore. So they're way better than those people. Remember, in the gospel, there's no those people, right? But to them, they're better than those people because the Gentiles have freedom. And the Jews, they're all wrapped up in their legalistic stuff. And so the Jews and Gentiles are seeing the same gospel differently. So when we overinflate our godliness, we strip ourselves from any interest or motivation in finding the grace of Jesus, I don't need it. So that's a super dangerous place to be. So here's my question today. Does the gospel make you better? I love, I'm just a visual person, so I just picture, you know, one is a hard-hearted judgment picture. Can you figure that out? And then one is a, okay, anyway. So um, let's go back here and, um, and move on. So, uh, if you haven't been with us before, um, we're going to kind of go through the cultural setting to, to, to see the background of the words on the page of the text, like what's normal for these people. So, um, Hellenism w- was, a, was a Greek way of thinking, swept over every, every, um, the biblical world. Alexander the Great was amazing with that. Rome took it, codified it, legalized it, empowered it with, with force and brutality. But Hellenism is really championing freedom and pleasure, all right? And they... Their pillars of Hellenism were the same pillars as our world, education, healthcare, care, entertainment, and athletics. And that's like, that's my world. And so we're very much in this um, wake. So man is the measure of all things, that's their, that's their t-shirt, bumper sticker, their slogan, that's what, they, that's what Hellenism But They took God off the throne and put man on the throne. Instead of God making man in his image, man made God in his image. So, so now the, and that's why the Greek gods are all pictured like people that can love and die and hate and all that stuff. All right, better move on. So, um, but the political context here, I've been through this before, but AD 33, the year, AD 33, Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, um, in Jerusalem, there were visitors from Rome. Apparently, some of those visitors took the gospel back to Rome, built the church. Paul did not establish the church at Rome. Someone else did and so, but, but the church at Rome was not like this. Like we come to one central place and we have a big meeting. The church in Rome was like our life groups, which you should probably jump on board on that. It's really good. Anyway, so um, that they, if you came out of, if you're a Jew and you came out of Judaism and you find Christ, well, you're gonna gravitate toward a Jewish house church because that makes sense to you. And if you're a Gentile coming out of, pagan, pagan Hellenism, and you find Christ, well, you're going to go over here to the Gentile house church. So I misspoke last Sunday. I said, I was trying to paint the picture of the conflict between Jew and Gentile, and I said, it's echoing in my head, but I said, oh, and then they're sitting together in church in this conflict, and that's exactly not true. They're not, that's the problem. They're not sitting next to each other. They're separate in their little house churches, so apologies for that. I know you were, like, stressing out over that. (laughs) Anyway, So, about, you know, 18 years go by, and then we talked about AD 51, Claudius expels the Jews from Rome, and so I studied that a little more, it turned out in the 40s, he prohibited the Jews from meeting, but then in 51, he's like, get out of town, and so a lot of them had to get out of town, and so they did that, In Acts 18 says um, Aquila and Priscilla were um, in Corinth, because they had to leave Rome, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So... During that time, now think about this, the church in Rome is mostly Jewish, so they have the Torah, they have their their leadership, they have all the programs and all this stuff, and all of a sudden they're gone. So now you have immature Gentile believers who month, year ago were in pagan Hellenism, and they got baggage, and now they're running the church. And I guarantee you the church is not going to look anything like the Jewish church. Right? That's I mean, the last thing on their mind. And so so they do that. They do Gentiles do church for six years on their own. And then the Jews, Claudius dies, the Jews come back, and the Jews are like, What in the world did you do to the church? They're like, We made it better. No, you didn't. You wrecked it. And so pow, pow, just, just, this tension, okay? How do we how do we treat the old testament? Do you have to be circumcised to be a Christian? Did you know? If not now, but Acts fifteen, that was the question. Here's Acts fifteen, I'm gonna read it to you. It's amazing. Um, I'm ahead of myself, so I got to find it, and I'll just quote it from mostly memory. Um, it says, "In in in those days, some men came down from Jerusalem, teaching that in order to be saved, you had to be circumcised according to the custom of Moses." Very clearly. They said, if you want to be saved, you've got to be circumcised. And that question was on the table. In Acts 15, they go through the whole thing, and they conclude, no, they don't. But that was an issue, okay? So, um, anyway, the, there's this tension between Jews and Gentiles. And Gentiles had got used to doing church without the Jewish leadership, the text. Because, remember, the Jews were keepers of the text. Gentiles don't have access to the text like that. Um, okay, and so... Um, Even in later on in Romans, Romans 14, the part of the book that's applicational, like do this differently, listen to these words because it's right on this issue. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment, there's the judgment word, on the one who eats. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant? So this judging one another is just thick through the entire book of Romans, and we'll get into that today, okay? So Paul, so anyway, the the, the Jews leave. Gentiles do church, Jews come back, there's conflict. Paul writes Romans about that conflict between Jew and Gentile. And so there's these three groups here that we talked about that show up in Romans 1, 2, and 3. So pagan Hellenisms are in society, but but, um, chapter 2, we run into former Hellenistic pagan believers and believing Jews, and these guys are in the church, and that's a bit of a problem. And so chapter 1, he looked at... um, he kind of just dismantles the concept that, yeah, you think you're, you're pursuing pleasure and freedom, and you're ending up as a slave to sin. You're dead in your sin. You're suppressing God's truth. You're ignoring God's revelation. You're exchanging God's glory. Your man is the measure, and you are broken, dead, sinful, and that is not the gospel we're talking about, and that gospel is not good news. That's death. So you've made God in your own image, and so this is what Paul is addressing, we took a look at the bookends. He wants to, in his book of Romans, the very first chapter is Roman 1, the very last chapter is Romans 16, and he says, to bring about obedience for the faith among all nations. Okay? All nations, obedience of faith. So Jews and Gentiles, you guys need to obey, and basically to them that means stop dividing the church and find unity. And Paul knows the solution to their division is an accurate understanding of the gospel. That's where things start to go haywire, and so that's why Romans is a super technical um, treatment of the gospel. All right? He's excited about sharing the power of the gospel. So, um, Romans is all about where to find righteousness before God. It's not how the Jews think it is, and it, it's, it's a little bit and a little bit, but together it, it's, it's a new way. So, Jews think it's achieved, through their heritage, the law, the circumcision, and they're going to pose that on the Gentiles. The Gentiles are like, hey, none of that. We're good without all that. And um, so Paul is, is going to come right in the middle. So here's a basic outline of the book of Romans, the entire book. It, the gospel reveals God's righteousness, and because it shows God's righteousness, sin is magnified, and we realize I'm stuck. The gospel creates a new humanity between Jew and Gentile. The gospel fulfills God's promises to Israel. And Paul's super sad that most of Israel has just stiff-armed God. And then number four there, that's the bottom line, transforms and unifies the church. This is the section where there's a lot of, of because of the thinking gospel correctly, we need to do some things differently with the Jew and Gentile unity. Okay, so all that to say, um, it was normal in that culture— for Jews to look at Gentiles and say, you guys are adulterers, idolaters, and you're the, you're the source of all that's wrong. Remember the background of that is that the, the, the Jews thought the Roman occupation of their land was due to the disobedience of the land. It's people like the Gentiles that, that caused God to judge Israel with the Romans in the first place. So that whole, that whole that's a lot of weight to, to overcome if you're supposed to fellowship with these folks, okay? And to the Jews... They think they're superior because of their heritage, covenants, and all this, all right? So, when Paul, the, the, the passage that Don read here, I don't know if you heard it, but, you know, who are you to judge others that do such things, such things? What things? Things from chapter 1, okay? The very first word of chapter 2 is, therefore, which is pointing backwards to chapter 1, okay? So, when Paul goes through his big, long, crazy, detailed list of all these sins, how do you think a Jew would respond to that, even in the church? It's like, yeah, you're, you're describing them. They are messed up. We're so much better. We, we don't do that. Jews were not known for being adulterers or idolaters, at least externally. And so in this chapter, you have this whole transition from the external, I'm good to go, to like, What's the heart like? And that's not how they thought, okay? And meanwhile, the Gentiles, right? How do you think the Gentiles would respond when when Paul's reading that big list? Well, they're judging the people still in the Hellenistic pagan culture. Well, we used to, but we're not. Not anymore, we're better. We figured it out. Those people are really messed up. So this is what you got going on in chapter two. Believing Jews were thinking and saying, we're better than you and you need to observe the law. We're better than you because we're circumcised and we follow the law and you need to. We're better than you because we observe the Sabbath and we eat certain food and you need to do that. This is the church of Jesus Christ that's just splitting. And Paul is like, we got to figure this out. So um, the Jews are suspicious of the freedom of the Gentiles. That echoes in today's culture. There are people you run into, when you talk about the grace of God, they get uptight and they start to freak out about the freedom you think you're talking about, like like we're going to go off and be crazy. And the missing component with people like that is they overlook the new heart, right? There's a new heart that changes my motivation. Anyway, I won't go on another sermon, but I got a lot of stories in my head that that would help us understand that another time. So... The Jews are threatened by Gentile freedom. The Gentiles are threatened by Jewish legalism, and they're both going different places. And so here's the next picture. So the former Hellenistic pagans are saying, well, we're better than the Jews because we live in freedom, and you guys need to unhinge from the Old Testament, separate from the Old Testament. So the Gentiles are threatened by Judaism, and both of them end up with hard-hearted judgmentalism, not soft-hearted compassion. And Paul's point is that's That's not where the gospel goes. That's not where you should end up. Same gospel, different destinations. Let's go to chapter 2, verse 1. Finally there. Okay, therefore, all the stuff in chapter 1, therefore, you are without excuse. Oh, man, every one of you who judges from passing judgment, you condemn yourself, and so we already read that, but a couple couple things here. It's very interesting because chapter 1 is all about they, 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 and here he switches to you, and it's singular. He says, you, oh man. Now, I think what he's doing is he's addressing the church, and he's saying, whoever among you, whichever one of you in the church thinks this way, oh man, this is who I'm talking about. So who, whichever one are judging, oh man, okay? So that's, that's what he's doing. And who's judging Who? The Jews and Gentiles are judging each other and everybody else. Okay, that's pretty much, why are they judging? Well, because they're intimidated, afraid that their world's going to change. So, um, yeah, the Jews just thought because they're God's chosen people, catch this, they were immune from judgment. God will not judge us. They actually thought the Jerusalem temple, that will never fall. All the prophets, you know, and here I got, got a couple of Micah 3.11. Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster will come to us. Jeremiah 5.12. The prophets have spoken falsely and said, He will do nothing. No disaster will come upon us. And so there's that tension there. So Jews and Gentiles judging one another for their different um, views of the gospel. Okay, so... Um, When God judges, he will judge righteously. Verse 2, judgment of God falls rightly on people. In verses 3 and 4, I love the last phrase of verse 4. God's kindness, this is really the heart of what I'm going to drive at today. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Isn't that comforting? Because that verse could be, God's wrath should scare you spitless into repentance. No, it's his kindness fascinating, isn't it? So here's a picture of what should have happened. Whoop. Uh, yeah, they're all judging each other. That's a different picture. This is not what should happen. This is what did happen. I forgot to show this to you. But yeah, the Jews were better than you, and the Gentiles were better than you, and, and, and so that's not the gospels Paul's talking about. This is what I'm talking about. Is their gospel making them better? They were supposed to end up with soft-hearted repentance, But Paul is like, you are here, hard-hearted judgment, okay? That is the problem that Paul is addressing. Uh, God's kindness was designed to lead them to repentance. He's like, God hasn't been kind to you so you could judge everybody? That's not the plan. Your gospel is failing, okay? I love the idea of God's kindness leading us. Uh, Timothy, or Titus rather, says... um, It says, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us. The grace of God trains us to renounce ungodliness, say no, and worldly passions, and to live, say yes, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. I'm fascinated by that question. How does the grace of God do that? How does the grace of God train us? another sermon, but basically by giving us a new identity, a new mind, and a new heart. We're new, okay? So um, we'll dig into that later, but I just, I just love that concept. The grace of God trains us to do things, and that, that's, um, that's powerful stuff. All right, verse 5, hard heart storing up wrath. <clears throat> If you're a Jew, all wrapped up in your culture, tradition, law, covenant, and you're judging other people, and you hear the words, so-and-so storing up wrath, who do you think the Jews are going to think is storing up wrath for themselves? Other people, the Gentiles, saved or unsaved. When the Gentiles hear, so-and-so is storing up wrath, they're like, you Jews, you, you, haven't, you, you guys are making it miserable and impossible for people to find Christ, so... What does Paul say? Because of your, Jew and Gentile, hard heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves. This is going to be impossible for them to internalize. What? No, 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 it's them. And Paul's like, no, you. You are storing up wrath. This is going to be just like hard for them to uh, to understand. Okay? Storing up condemnation. Wow. Um, And then he goes into verses 6 through 11, and I... Another chiastic structure. If, if you don't know, uh, in Greek, the letter is chi X, chi chi, whatever you want to pronounce it. And you can see on the left hand side, there's kind of half, the left half of the X. That's why it's called a chiastic structure. Anyway, this is a very common thing, but all I want to point out to you is that normally in a chiastic structure, the middle part is the focal part, like Genesis 6 7, 8. Three chapters, one gigantic chiastic structure, and the center of that is God remembered Noah. Okay, fascinating. But here, Paul doesn't put the emphasis on the middle. He puts it out on the edges. To each one, God shows no partiality. The idea is that Jew and Gentile, to each one, no partiality. Jews, it doesn't matter that you have the law, the covenant. And Gentiles, it doesn't matter that you're separated from the Jews and you have freedom. God judges righteously, accurately, And so this is, um, the danger here is that the church is kind of creating two gospels, a gospel for this group and a gospel for this group. And Paul's like, no, there's one gospel, okay? God judges without partiality. You have a common problem. You have the same system of judgment here Paul brings to the table, and that's your works. And before a righteous God, the works of the Jew and the works of the Gentile fall short. They have the same result. They fall short. They have the same need. They need to find some tool to find righteousness outside of their made-up systems. Because their made-up systems are failing. That gospel does not work. Paul is leading, as you might guess, to Jesus. All right? But that's a couple chapters down the road. So this is... um God judges righteously, accurately, and partially, and that's going to scare the Jew and Gentile because they thought, I, I, I thought I was okay, I thought I was in control of, me, you know, measuring and all this stuff, and, and Paul's like, your system is broken. You're, you, um, God judges righteously. You do not judge righteously. God judges accurately and partially. You don't. You stand condemned. You fall short. The gospel is not making you better, all right? You need a new way to find righteousness. So... Chapter 2, verses 12. Let's take a look at the former. This is what Paul turns his attention to them. They, oh, we've got our conscience. We've got our freedom. All right? We're, uh, we're good to go. Uh, not so fast. Uh, verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law. All who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Just, just clarify here. Those who sin without the law are Gentiles. Okay? Those who sin under the law are Jews. Because Paul, Paul, God gave the Gent. Jews, the law, he did not give the law to the Jew, Gentile. <sighs> I think you know. I think you got it. All right. Anyway, so um, the Gentiles don't have the law. The Jews do have the law. And again, when we say law, we simply mean uh, the commands of Moses, and that can be zeroed into the Ten Commandments, or you can look at the whole five books, the Pentateuch, or even sometimes the law is called the Old Testament, okay? So that's just a very, it can be confusing when you're trying to get your head around it, but the commands of Moses, the law, all right? And so here's, uh, if I can sidestep and go off a little uh, planned bunny trail, they're not all planned, but this one is, Um, is the law sort of the operating system of the Old Testament, I mean, is that, really what, is that really what the Old Testament is about? And is, that, is that how it works? And, and no, the answer is no. And I've shown this to you before when we went through Galatians. Because the promise, the unconditional promise, came 430 years before the Ten Commandments. And, and Paul, he knows this, and he's going to really leverage this later on. It's like, well, if Abraham found righteousness... A long time before the law even showed up, Pharisees, how exactly does it work that you have to have the law to be righteous because that, that's, not, that's not his case, and Abraham, by the way, is your, your hero, you know just that's interesting. so this um yeah, in Genesis 12, we have the unconditional promise. Abraham believed, became righteous, and then later on he was circumcised. So, you've got a lot of chronological problems, Pharisees, for arguing that the law is required to make one righteous, because it doesn't, it's not true theologically, but even historically, it's not the way the story rolls out, and I love that about Paul. He, he uses their, their stuff to um, help them understand some of their, their own gaps. Okay, so... 13, verse 13, chapter 2, verse 13. For it's not the hearers, it sounds like James, it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Now, justified. Sometimes we pack that word with more than that's there. It's a legal term that means as God looks at us, we're good. But it does nothing to our behavior. Justify it's a legal term. Okay? A judge can take a criminal, you know, you're justified legally, you're, but he goes out and, and his heart's not renewed. That's regeneration. That's a separate thing, okay? Anyway, we'll get to that too. Paul has a lot to unpack here. Remember, be patient with Paul as he's arguing this. He's building and he's building and he's building, and so you got to give him space to make this case, and, and, and there are a lot of tensions we're expecting, and they come later, but right now he's simply saying uh, they're, they're justified. Gentiles were 14 Gentiles who do not have the law, look at this, by nature, they do what the law requires. They're a law to themselves. Verse 15. The law is written on their hearts, their conscience, bearing witness. Either uh, accusing them or um, conflicting thoughts, accuse or excuse them. And so all he's saying is it actually is a jab to the Jews. He's like, well, the Gentiles don't have any kind of a law like you have, Jews, but they're conscious. They can almost do better than you, because without knowing anything, they're able to figure out right and wrong, and you should know Jews right and wrong, because you know all this, and you haven't figured that out, so that's another hard pill to swallow for, for these folks, but the conscience, I want to be clear on this, the conscience is not an infallible guide, it is problematic, um, we went to Kazakhstan, I taught in, uh, theology in Kazakhstan, Russia, and man, bribery is just the way the world works, and so, if you grow up in a culture where bribery and lying is good and necessary, you run into bribery, and, and no problem. Your conscience will not, bing, 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 okay? Um, but if you grow up in a culture where this is bad, and then, well, bing, and sometimes we can learn, oh, that's bad, like eating chocolate. And it's like, bing, bing. It's like, and it takes a while, like, I don't think that's a sin. I'm not sure, but I don't, I'm just messing with you. Okay. But you get the point. So, the Holy Spirit is infallible. He's never wrong. So we need to take our conscience and check it before the Holy Spirit and, and the Word of God to make sure that we're operating with our feelings of right and wrong according to the, the biblical standard, okay? And maybe, maybe there's some uh, relational issues that we hit the ceiling and it's because of our conscience that's, that's just a little off. We don't maybe need to hit the ceiling. Well, that's, that's good news if, if we can find that freedom. Conversely, maybe we don't hit the ceiling when we should. Okay, all right, moving on. So he's saying, Gentiles, I think your Hellenistic past is, is skewed your conscience. You can't, you can't trust that to lead you to righteousness, okay? But there's a third group. The third group he talks about is the believing Jews. And he's like, we've got our law. So whatever, whatever, whatever tool you're looking for to find righteousness, whether it's pagan freedom or conscience, you know, your, your innate sense of right and wrong, that fails, and even your law, um, Paul is going to systematically undo these guys. So if someone asked you, what are the distinguishing characteristics of a Jew, you probably throw a lot of stuff out there, but probably after you shake it in a sieve, you're going to end up with the law and the covenant. That this is, this is who we are as Jews. We have the law. They don't have that, but we have the law and the covenant. And Paul is saying, before a righteous God, you fall short. You are in the same situation as the Gentiles. And it's going to blow their mind. But, but wait a minute. They're not in the same situation because the Jews have the law. They have the covenant. They are God's chosen people. But his point is, all those blessings that God gave you in and of themselves don't save you from his wrath your actions are how you're judged not your legal documents of the covenant that you that made and and that gets into circumcision we'll get here in a bit but um all right so they had to respond to god's grace like anybody else and they kind of missed that and they just claimed they started to cling to our identity as god's chosen people good to go but he won't judge us we're his special people And that's how they start to go sideways, all right? Here's Isaiah 42. God talking about his chosen people. I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the nations, A light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to bring prisoners out of the dungeon, and take prisoners who sit in darkness. And and, you know, I love the Luke, whatever it is, passage where Jesus is reading, and he's like, "Yeah, I I did this. I'm doing this right here." (laughs) And what do they do? They freak out because they, they, it's like that's we've never heard that, and fascinating. All right, so Romans chapter two verse seventeen: If you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law, Look at that language. You're a Jew and you rely on the law. Paul is trying to get them to rely on the gospel and not the law. But, and you boast in God. You know his will. You approve what is excellent because you're an instructor for the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor, a teacher, you, know, you teach others, you know, teach yourself, you, you preach against stealing, Do you steal. You say you don't commit adultery, but, but, but do you? You, you abhor idols, but you rob temples. There's probably a cultural um, thing there with um, taxing and, and money exchange, but anyway. So they, they boast in the law, but they don't follow it. It's sort of like they brag about we're God's chosen people, we're special. But they, they, don't, they couldn't be bothered to actually obey, th- obey that. So they're all talk, no action. Or like my friend Ken would say, they're all hat and no cattle. Ever hear that? Anyway, so Paul says there's a truckload of contradiction between your claim of righteousness and, and, and your conduct. It's just like this doesn't match. And, and the true gospel creates newness, and least leads to soft-hearted compassion. <laughs> Not hard hearted judgment. And so now we go to verse 25 with the circumcision thing. And that is really just a historical. Other nations did that, by the way. Not just, not just the Jews. But this was, this was their sign of being in covenant with God. And the, and the sign, it was like a label that pointed to something significant deeper. Inside. And the Jews quickly lost that. And all they had was the external sign. And they, it was disconnected from obedience. And, and so then that's why you get to Acts 15 and, and they're, like, they're like, well, you, you need to do this thing to, to be saved because that's how we know we're super special. And that, that's a major disconnect, all right? Um, so bottom line, Jews don't think, because of their special place in salvation history, they don't think they need Paul's gospel. We, we have all this stuff and we're, we're okay, we're special. And Paul's trying to say, all that stuff points to and leads to this Jesus and, and, and so that's I, can you even fathom with me the difficulty of a Jew to hear this and go wow okay they would have to give up on thousands of years of their own heritage every aspect of their culture, their family thrown out the window to believe this gospel by the way, Paul who's sketchy and all his rag-tame disciples who are losers, in that culture they are, and Jesus, the, the criminal on the cross, believe us! <laughs> this is just crazy in the culture. I hope you can understand this is not an easy sell, right? The Holy Spirit helps out, all right? I'm being, I'm being funny there. In, um, okay. So, Paul's point you're all guilty. Pagan, obviously you get guilty, but you're believing Gentiles, you're guilty. Your gospel doesn't work, all of you fall short. You all fall short, you, you boast in outward manners, but, but your heart is unchanged. So whether the Jews submit to the law or don't submit to the law, whether the Gentiles follow their conscience or they don't follow, they fall short. Whatever, whatever system you can come up with to find righteousness, it's going to fall short. And we come up with our own all the time. That would be a fun conversation at lunch. Here's your homework. In our culture, what ways do we as Christians come up with our own system for being righteous and being good? And there's a whole bunch of weird stuff that we do and some that uh, maybe we don't even know we do, Okay. We all try to live by some kind of rule or law to find righteous. We fall short, all right? Our conscience accurately will say you're falling short. So, what does this mean? Where do we go with this? Paul is saying to the church, God's kindness is supposed to lead you to repentance, soft-hearted compassion, but you guys are parked squarely in hard-hearted judgment. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not making you better. All right, you're storing up wrath for yourselves, not the other guys, and uh, your problems are you, and the solution to the common problem is, is a common gospel. So he's paving the way for that. So the Jews, let go of your privileged past and then embrace and experience the grace of God. And the Gentiles, let go of your pagan past and embrace and experience the grace of God and allow that to create a new heart, a new mind, a new identity. And out of that, you will find unity and less judgmentalism and more compassion and patience. Wow. And so we always like to um, end with a couple thoughts Life moves pretty quick. If you don't slow down and think about it, you could miss it. And so we're going to think about these questions. Are you a better person because of the gospel? And again, it's a trick question, right? I mean, are, are you? do you think you're better than, than those people? And honestly, I'm not that far away from being convicted by that question because there's just don't have time. But, you know, certain people cross your path now and then, and you it triggers a, a response, and you're like... I need to invite the Lord to that response because I think I have some baggage. Does your gospel lead you to hard hearted judgment or soft hearted repentance? And so, um, which picture best illustrates your heart? <laughs> anyway, so um, I, love, I love what Paul's doing. It's, it's a bit annoying because he takes so long to develop his point because we're weeks, we're hanging out here with, with just. Bad news of sin and judgment. Hang with me. Chapter 3, he's like, oh, there is a the gospel. So, so you got to come back next week. Otherwise, you'll be confused forever. <laughs> anyway, Heavenly Father, thank you for your good word. We are grateful for the gospel. We're grateful for a new heart, a new mind, a new identity. And I'm sure I don't even know what, what all that really means. And I just pray that all of us this week would experience that in a, a more clear way that we would gravitate more because of your kindness, we would gravitate towards the soft-hearted compassion. Maybe there's relationships and tensions we're in the middle of that we can just re-bring that to you. And would you, would you just anoint that relationship and, and bless us with forgiveness and patience, compassion because of your kindness, how you treat us. And so um, we wanna be people who follow you, disciples of you, and we want to extend what we experience. Amen.